0: I want to read in Ephesians 4, I want to begin in verse 29 down through the end of the chapter. And this morning what I want to do is really introduce the new man's speech. What type of speech, words, should be proceeding out of the mouth of a believer... And what type of speech should be going on internally in the heart of a believer. So Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We're going to be slowing down here on these verses, and perhaps you may be thinking, well, how does pastor determine when to slow down and when to take a regular number of verses or even to speed up? Well, it really has to do with the nature of the Christian life in the culture that we're in. If there's one thing I wish I knew from the get-go of my Christian life is the priority that God gives to my thought life and my speech life. the priority of God, what God gives to my thought life and to my speech life. The emphasis in much of our churches today is on appearances. Whether it be the external appearance of worship, the external appearances of music, the external appearances of dress, or even the appearances of what constitutes a spiritual believer. When I grew up, and I'm still growing up, but when I grew up early in my Christian life, the emphasis of what made you a spiritual person was basically based on three things. Your regular attendance to church services. Number two, your giving pattern. Did you systematically give? And in the churches that I grew up in, it was the minimum of a tithe. And then thirdly was how many tracks you passed out. Now, all of those things are to be an expression of our heart. Amen? But the emphasis was not on my thoughts, my inner man, or my tongue, what I said. It was on those things that people could judge in appearance. People could see whether or not I was being a witness. People would know, especially the church treasurer, right? They would know whether I am regularly giving or not. And of course, people would know if I, if I was in church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But in those churches, it was entirely acceptable to have unsound, unhealthy, destructive, condemning, slanderous, libellous speech. But God gives an emphasis to what we're saying to ourselves and what is coming out of our mouths. And folks, this shouldn't surprise us because I think that if we gave it some thought, we all would agree that the Scripture, the speech of God, is the mirror to the heart of God. Would you agree with that statement? So too, our speech is a mirror to our heart in like manner. The difference is, is that fallen men and women can cover over a deceitful heart, whereas with God, His speech always and eternally reflects His heart of truth, righteousness, and judgment. Does everybody see that? When we're talking about Christ, the things that he says, the things that he communicates, the way that he thinks, is an accurate representation of God's nature. So too, we as believers, our word, our speech, in how we think and what we say, is to be an accurate representation, now please hear this, not merely of ourselves, but of Christ in our life. In our culture today, men and women speak of being true to yourself. Scripture does not speak that way. Scripture speaks of a believer being true to him, Christ. Our inner man is to be a reflection of him. Our speech is to be a reflection of him. And our behavior or our walk in every area of our life is to be a reflection not of ourselves, but of who? Of Christ. Every believer is in Christ. And he is my identity as a believer. It's not I that live, but who lives in me? Christ. Christ. So set your affections on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. And this is the way to learn Christ if we are learning Him Properly and accurately. We are to walk in newness of life. And that newness of life just doesn't reflect in our appearances, although it is reflective there. It is to be a reflection of what who we are internally as it is expressed in what we say and think. Now this is why that when we look at the book of Ephesians, and I do think this is significant, the book of Ephesians, having told us to grow up in Him in all things, places the priority on our speech or on our tongue. And we'll see that, look in Ephesians 4, you're here in chapter 4, look at verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Well folks, how do pastors, teachers, evangelists, how do they build up the body? by what they what? what they say to the body? Everybody see that. In other words, right now, as a pastor teacher, how am I building you up? I am building you up, hopefully, prayerfully, if you'll receive it, by the things I am saying to you. It's my speech. So he would emphasize, verse 14, that we are no longer to be children. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto Him. Everybody see that? Speaking the truth in love, grow up in all things in Him. We saw in Ephesians 4, verse 25, earlier, Therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Does that have to do with the tongue? The answer to that is yes. If you look at verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Folks, how do we express anger? With what you say, right? And how you say it. Again, Paul is emphasizing our speech. And when we talk about giving the devil an opportunity, and if we remember that the word devil means slanderer, how does the devil gain opportunity within a congregation? Through slander, which is what? It's our speech. In verse 29, we've already seen this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that word which is good for edification. When we look at verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How would you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? by the things we are saying one to another. Everybody see that? If you look down at verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. How is bitterness exhibited? Through the things that we say to one another. How do we express, verse 32, kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another? How do we express that? Primarily through the things that we say to one another. If you look in Ephesians 5, in verse 4, Paul says, There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which is jesting which is not fitting but rather giving of what Where are those things expressed Through what we are saying It's our speech our tongue If you look down at verse 11 of chapter 5 do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness But instead, even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Is there disgraceful speech that should not be spoken? There is. If we look in chapter 5, verse 19, he speaks of being filled with the Spirit. What is the very first thing that is mentioned if you are being filled with the Spirit? Verse 19, what's the first word? Speaking. Everybody see that? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? With your heart to the Lord. And folks, many people who are battling over music are violating this verse. Because what is in their heart is bitterness and wrath. Look at verse 20. What is the second evidence of being filled with the Spirit? Always giving an unthankful believer is not filled with the Spirit of God. And folks, our gratitude comes from our what? Our mouths. No silly talk, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. If you go down into the family, chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Everybody see that? Folks, sacrificial love. Christ gave Himself for the church. Sacrificial love. Everybody see that? Evidences itself in edifying one another. Not only in the church, but in the home. Loving my wife sacrificially is to be seen through my tongue, what I say, how I speak to her. And folks, if that is true, and it is true, then for a wife to love her husband and reverence him, how do you think that is seen? Through her speech. Does everybody see that? I'm just just trying to show you the primary primary emphasis here. As we dip into chapter 6, it is evident that if children are to honor their father and mother, then they must have a heart to honor them, and where will that honor be seen? in their speech, in what they say to their parents, how they say it. Look in chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Folks, how would a father provoke his child? Through the things that he is saying to that child. And how he says it to that child. Is everybody following what I'm saying here? Okay, We got it in chapter 4. We got it in chapter 5. We got it in chapter 6. Go down in chapter 6, verse 18. He says to the church, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now folks, we know that praying means... You're either saying it vocally with your mouth, or you're praying to God internally in your where? In your heart. They're words. And then Paul would say in verse 19, And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's concerned about his speech. Paul's concerned about how the church is speaking to God in prayer. They're to be praying in the Spirit. He's concerned about family and how those members speak to one another. He's concerned about the speech that goes on within the house of God and among the members of the house of God. And he lets us know that when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, we are talking about the things that we're saying and singing and the type of melody in our music, that all of that is to be done in truth, is to be characterized in our services, and it is to be flowing out of a heart that is making melody and singing to the Lord. That in our communication one to another and even in our prayers to God that is to be filled with thanksgiving, that we're to be a thankful people and to be filled with the Spirit is to be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. And again, not, not trying to strain something that's not there, but I would say that our submission is exhibited through our speech. That that is part of our submitting one to another. Folks, everything that God has ever done, He has done by His speech. God said, let there be light. We are born again By the word of promise. Does everybody hear that? How are we sanctified? (coughs) In truth. Thy word is truth. We could say... And it's really a foolish statement, but I think it will help us to understand that God's heart and speech are one in truth. So our heart and our speech as believers should be one in truth as it is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And folks, everything that I've just said even has the more urgency attending it, because we are members of one of another. We are organically one in Christ Jesus. And folks, what I'm talking about here is the block kick and tackle of our walk in Christ in psalm 119 the psalmist says oh how i hate vain thoughts do you i do and the sad thing about it is is that much of what <clears throat> i mean a lot of times i don't even recognize its vain thoughts This is how we are to walk in His love, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You'll see the word therefore, which takes you right back to Ephesians 4, verse 32, which is an example of wholesome words, good for edification, ministering grace to one another. Now, folks, if you really give attention to this, as I have done these past several weeks, what you will walk away with is how utterly a failure you are at this. As all of this was coming to a head, I really just sat back in my seat as I was typing these things and I thought, oh, wretched man I am. And immediately I prayed the Isaiah passage I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then the next thing that came out of my heart was, Lord, can't you just take me home right now? Why why do I need to dwell in the midst of all this deceit, both externally, internally, in my sinful nature? Why don't you just take me home now? I'll be transformed into your image forever and ever. It is easier to deal with appearances... It is easier to deal with external behavior and excuse the issues of heart and tongue. And that really is an understatement. It is far easier. And folks, what I'm fearful of is that the state of the church, and I'm speaking very broadly here, has become what our Lord warned us against, where we make the outside of the cup clean, but we fail to cleanse the inside of the cup. Or, as Jesus would say, we whitewash the tube, but inside is dead men's bones. Now, he's speaking to religious people when he says that. And he concludes that scathing indictment of the Pharisees and Sadducees by saying, outwardly you appear righteous, but inwardly you are lawless. So, what would be the better thing? Cleanse the inside so that the outside may be what? Clean. As I mentioned last week, 1 Peter would quote from the Psalms and say, if you desire life to love and see good days, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Every home is destroyed by the tongue. Did you hear that? This is what Hebrews speaks of when he uses this phrase don't let a root of bitterness the root of bitterness isn't being bitter the root of bitterness is a person who spreads defilement among the people of God And the passage in Hebrews states that if there is a root of bitterness, they will defile many. Well folks, how are they doing that? By the things they are communicating. And folks, I think it is very evident as we just are really introducing this and thinking about our speech, that the devil can have his appearance as an angel of light. But the devil is a deceiver. And he deceived Eve. Did he deceive Eve? By what he said. What he said was the expression of his heart with a covering. Peter would go on and write that we are to seek the good of our neighbor. And then he would say this to those who love life, desire to see good days, who are keeping their lips from evil, this is what he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayers. Folks, could it be that the church of Christ today is not seeing their prayer answered because of their tongues And you know in James he says you have not because you ask not but you asked and you don't have because you want to what consume it on your own lust Their heart was being betrayed in the things they were praying for. Now folks, as we look at this passage in Ephesians 4, in verses 29 through the end of the chapter, this passage breaks down very nicely for us. If you look in verse 29, we actually have the command... Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That's the command. Then we have the aim of our speech, so that, here's what you're aiming for in the person that you're speaking to, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Does everybody see that? We have a command, not this type of speech, but this type of speech. Not speech according to our former manner of life, but speech according to the new man, because the purpose of your speech differs from the way you used to live. What you want is grace being Ministered. Then we have the seriousness of this in a church. The seriousness of our speech is this, that unwholesome speech grieves the Holy Spirit. We'll get into more of this later, but the word grief actually means to cause pain. I bet you don't give much thought to thinking that the things that you say can give God pain. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Why does it pain the Holy Spirit? Because we were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, God's identifying mark is on you as His. And if we are His, then what kind of speech would you think His people should be saying? Wholesome speech, ministering grace, just like His speech is wholesome, ministering grace. Does everybody see that? To not do that is to pain the Holy Spirit. And then Paul gives to us examples of wholesome speech and unwholesome speech. In verse 31, you have examples of useless, grieving speech <clears throat> bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And then you have examples of profitable, full of grace, edifying type of speech. Verse 32, kindness one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And he'll go on in the chapter 5 and talk about other types of speech. If we look at verse 29 where it says, let no unwholesome speech, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. If I was to translate that very literally, and I'm only giving you this so that you can hear the emphasis of this. That wooden literal translation would be something along this lines. No useless word Out of the mouths of the congregation. Nothing is to go out. Do you hear that? There's two strong negatives in that sentence. Nothing, no useless word out of the mouth of a congregation. Nothing. out of your mouth. Now folks, that that command, this command that we're looking at, is certainly applicable from the pulpit. Would you say yes or no to that? I think I would say yes to that. That as a pastor, teacher, evangelist, it is incumbent, it is obligatory upon me as a speaker to the people of God that to the best of my ability and to the best of my giftedness that I speak Profitable words to you. Can a teacher, pastor, evangelist preach unprofitable words? The answer to that is yes. But folks, it's also applicable to one-on-one communication. Among one another, among my interactions with you, your interactions with me. But folks, if we're doing it in the house of God, if we're exhibiting the speech of a new man... Then it will also be exhibited not only in the church, but where? Out. Outside the church. And, brethren, I just want to let you know that when you do this, you're going to lose some worldly friends. You're just going to lose some worldly friends by default. They don't want wholesome words from you. Now I want to conclude this morning by looking at three things. And again, I'm just introducing this. Number one. And my whole goal, brethren, is to try to raise in your spirit the priority of this as a measure of maturity and godliness. Number one, words are the fruit of the abundance of your heart. Words are a fruit of the abundance of your heart. When we're talking about unwholesome words, we're, I'm talking about words that are useless words. They don't minister grace. I'm talking about, in some cases, it's translated rotten, spoiled. Words that have an odor to them. And if you do a quick study on that Greek term that's translated unwholesome in our Bibles, you'll find that it's not used in very, very many contexts. Which is always exciting if you're trying to find a definition on how the Bible uses a word. Because if it has 850 uses, you just say... (sighs) But if it has 8... Or twelve, or even twenty. You're like, oh, I, yeah, I, I can take the time and look at how this word is used elsewhere in my New Testament. And I want us to look at two major passages where this is used because this was very enlightening to me, and I think it would be very enlightening to us. I want you to turn to Luke chapter six. Our Lord uses a form of this word that's translated unwholesome in connection with this topic. Trees. Trees. He'll talk about a good tree. He'll talk about a bad tree. There's our word. Bad tree tree. And in Luke chapter 6, <clears throat> look at verse 43. He says, for there is no good tree which produces what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. So a good tree doesn't produce what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. On the other hand, <clears throat> a bad tree which produces good fruit. That's impossible. Verse 44. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Does everybody see that? Good tree brings forth good fruit. Bad tree brings forth bad fruit. And you can't, you can't mix those up. What is he talking about? Verse 45. The good man. Everybody see that? He's talking about good trees. Now he's going to talk about the good man out of the treasure, good treasure of his what? Brings forth what is good. Everybody see the parallel? Good tree brings forth good fruit. Good man brings forth Good fruit, good treasure. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Well, what are you talking about here? For his mouth. Alright, let's back off here just a second. If I'm talking about a good tree bringing forth what kind of fruit? What is he talking about? What's the fruit? What the man says. Right? The fruit of his lips is what he's talking about here. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, that which fills the heart, the mouth speaks. Everybody see that connection? So we turn to the book of Matthew, and we go to Matthew chapter 12, and as you're turning there, I'm just going to reference the other place where this is used. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 7, which you know is on the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about false prophets, and he says this, you'll know a false prophet by their fruit. What's he talking about? Their buildings. He's talking about you'll know a false prophet by the things they say. Their doctrine. What they're communicating. So in Matthew 12 <clears throat> and in verse 33, he comes out of a section where the Pharisees were saying that he cast out devils by the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. And our Lord warns them that if you speak, verse 32, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, It shall not be forgiven them, either in this age or in the age to come. Now look at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its... Okay, what's he telling the Pharisees? You have an appearance of good, but you're really a bad tree. So you need to make a decision. You either need... And what He wants them to be is a good tree. So they bring forth good, good fruit. Because you know a tree's health by the fruit of the tree. How do you know our health? Fruit. By the, what's coming out of our heart. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Do we all get that? Verse 36, But I tell you, That every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. If that doesn't make you sigh, I don't know how I could get you to feel that. We speak with our tongues and we speak internally to ourselves. Surely a believer who reads verse 36 just spontaneously thanks God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, who can stand before God if that's the criteria of the judgment? The thoughts of the inner man and the words that you say to people. That everything is written down. The things you say in the quietness of the night in, our heart, in your heart. The things that you say that you think are in secret and nobody hears. And Christ would go on and say this, that which is hidden shall be made known. And that which has been spoken in private will be shouted from the housetops. It will be fully opened in the day of judgment. That is sobering, isn't it? And folks, fundamentally, when a person is born again from above, their heart is changed. They have something in their heart they didn't have. We possess in earthen vessels treasure the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it changes our speech. It doesn't make our speech perfect. I wish it did. But it changes the core of a human being. And then he says in verse 37 of Matthew 12, For by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be what? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it would be like to stand before God and you try to justify yourself. And he opens the books, page 673. And he says, This is what you said in your heart about that. How could we stand before him if he would mark our iniquity? And yet, people think, Oh, I'll just let my good deeds outweigh my bad. I'll just pray a prayer and everything will be okay. I got my fire insurance. There we go. Woohoo. When there's been no change of heart. It's still dead in there. It's still corruptible. And folks, you know that if you open a tomb, you would be like Mary and Martha. Lord, by this time it really stinks. It really stinks. And folks, we we can cover up the deceit of our heart with a cloak of righteousness, just like the evil one. But God knows our heart. He knows mine, he knows yours. When Peter and the church prayed in Acts chapter 1 and they needed to select an apostle, it's fascinating how they addressed God. They said, God, You're the heart knower. You're the heart knower. You know all things. Words are the fruit of an abundance of your heart. It shows the treasure in your heart. It shows what you value in your heart. And folks, we walked in our former manner of life valuing me. My opinions, my ways my judgments, my standard. No more in Jesus Christ. It's Him that matters. Not me. When I was younger, and you probably have heard this, I had a preacher say, every man and woman and boy and girl has opinions and they're like two stinky armpits. That's about how high our opinions matter. What matters is Him. And I've said this to many a believer, there are honest disagreements among believers, but at the end of the day, He will be right. (laughs) Not me. Not the other person. He will be right, because He is Lord of all. And every knee will bow to Him. And folks, you need to take your heart and your speech and tongue and bow it before Jesus Christ. You need to say to yourself, I don't care If you're 140, your speech can mature. My speech can mature. Your speech can mature as a believer. And if you're here lost in your sins, this ought to make you cry out for God in Christ to do something in your soul. Secondly, in Galatians chapter 5, and you're very familiar with this, but I want us to turn so I can just point out something here to you. Galatians chapter 5, referring to the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. So number one, words are the fruit of the abundance of our heart. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips. The fruit of the Spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips. In Galatians 5, you're very familiar in verses 19 and verse 22, but I want to show you the bookends of this verse. I want you to look at verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brethren... Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does everybody agree with that? Alright, here's first application, verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Folks, when I'm talking about biting and devouring, what, what does that involve? It involves your words. You bite and devour with your mouth. So there's one book in. Now look at verse 25. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now folks, if I'm talking about boasting, if I'm talking about challenging one another, how am I doing that? With my mouth. Right? So folks, we have two bookends that primarily are dealing with in application with our speech. And that's why I'm saying that everything in between those two bookends teach us that the fruit of the Spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips. So, if you look at verse 22, <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things originate where? In the heart. So if you're filled with gentleness, where would it first be seen? It will be seen by what comes out of your mouth. If you're experiencing self-control and you're filled with self-control of the Spirit, the first place that self-control is going to be is seen where? In the things you say. If you've got a thankful heart, what kind of speech are you going to have? thankfulness. If you're a person that is filled with the words of Christ dwelling richly in you, then what kind of speech are you going to hear from that person primarily? The words of Christ coming from that person. If you're a kind person, what kind of speech are you going to have? kindness. You know, Proverbs 31 is not just applicable to women. Men are like, oh good, that's just applicable to women, law of kindness in her mouth, but I can be violent. (laughs) I'm sure you misunderstand some other passages too. If your heart is full of submission, then what kind of speech are you going to have? Submissive. Submissive speech. If you are filled with modesty in your heart, then what kind of speech are you going to have? Modest, appropriate speech. And if your heart is filled with peace and quietness, what kind of words are you going to have? Words of peace and quietness. So everybody see what I'm saying? I'm I'm trying to refocus your mind to think, I need to watch out what I'm feeling my heart with because who I am in my heart is seen by how I speak to myself and others on a habitual way. And it is all to be appropriate for the need of the moment. That's what Ephesians 5.4.29 says. Thirdly and lastly, <clears throat> as we go back to Ephesians, not only are words the fruit of the abundance of our heart <clears throat> and the fruit of the Spirit is firstly seen from the fruit of our lips, But thirdly, words are for building up one another in sanctification and growth. Words are meant for building, not for destroying. Now sometimes words that are meant for building do destroy. You think about the prophet Jeremiah. God told him, He said, I've given you, put my word upon your lips for destroying. And then at the end of it it says, for building. But folks, it is instructive that in the book of 2 Corinthians, we won't turn there for lack of time, but three times Paul tells the Corinthian church, and they were a carnal church, yes? And they had bickering and all kinds of stuff going on in that church. Paul says, I've written to you, Not to condemn you. I've written to you to build you up in the right things. Because God's not given me a ministry just to tear down. He's given me authority as an apostle to build you up in the things of the Lord. And that's coming from the mouth of an apostle. And so as we turn lastly to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is the primary chapter where this edification theme is used over and over and over and over. And it's used in connection with the gifts. But he says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, But one who prophesies speaks to men for what? Edification. Everybody see that? All speaking gifts are for the purpose of building up exhortation and consolation. Look in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is he who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, because this is the aim, that the church may receive edifying. Verse 12, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church, for the building up of the church. Verse 26, What is the outcome then, brethren? Brethren, When you assemble, each one has a psalm that's speaking, has teaching that's speaking, has a revelation that was speaking, has a tongue that was speaking, has an interpretation that was speaking. Let all things be done for the building up of the church of God. Everybody see that? Any exceptions? nothing. And folks, this is why in Ephesians 4 verse 29 he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. amazing, isn't it? To watch your heart is to watch your speech. James 3, that awesome passage. But in the book of James, he will say this to his congregation. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. That's pretty strong. Would you not agree? Folks, God has rebirthed us so that it would be profitable to us. It's not just looking in a mirror of the Word, seeing yourself, and walking away and forgetting what manner of person you are. It's to walk out and say, Worthless speech betrays a worthless religion. But a profitable religion teaches a believer to put a bridle on their mouths, to be quick to listen, slow to anger, because the wrath of man does not worth the righteousness of God. A person's speech is the mirror of their soul. Just as the Word of God is the mirror of Christ Jesus. May God transform us. And may we put the priority where it needs to be. And if you're here this morning, you you may have prayed a prayer. But God's not looking for a prayer. He's looking for life inside of you. Right? Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. All kinds of religious people pray. But until there's life inside of you, Indicated with the treasure of the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Exhibited in transforming you from a former manner of life to a new way of walking. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Let's pray.